title of our lesson this morning is He Saved Us. We're going to take a look at Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. We looked at verses 1 through 7 in class this morning, but I think that thought really runs all the way through verse 8. And so we're going to kind of look at 3 through 8 this morning. And so as we kind of get into this, the theme of Titus, as we talked about in class also, is Titus makes the book an inseparable link between faith and practice. It's belief and then your behavior. And so Paul tells Titus, according to God's mercy, he saved us. That's in chapter 3, about verse 5. And then salvation leads to a change in life and a hope of eternity. So as we think about those things, in Titus chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Speak those things which are proper for sound doctrine. Those are the three points I'm going to, we're going to take a look at this morning. He saved us where we were lost, and now, and now we live. I'm getting ahead of myself. Point number one, he saved us. Titus chapter 2 and verse 1. But as for you, speak those things which are proper for sound doctrine. And just prior to this, Paul has talked about the reputation that those living on the island of Crete have. And then following this, he'll talk about the older members, uh, older men, older women, younger men, young women, and the way that they ought to be living their lives. And he'll even talk about bond servants. In verse 1, chapter 2, he says, speak those things which are proper for sound up. So these are things that you should do. But so far, he hasn't really talked about the motivation for those things. I want to share with you a little illustration that I think will go along with our lesson this morning. You ever heard of a man by the name of John Newton? Not Isaac Newton. (laughs) John Newton. John Newton lived in the 18th century, born in the 1700s. And even though you don't maybe recall the name, maybe some of you do, you're familiar with a hymn that he wrote. It's one of the most well-known hymns of all time. It's probably been sung more than any other hymn. It's probably been recorded more times than any other hymn. But John Newton, when he was a young child, had kind of an unfortunate childhood. His mother died at a very early age. He had kind of a rough upbringing, sort of a troubled youth. And at one time, he was part of the British Royal Navy. He was from England. He ended up leaving, maybe getting kicked out of the British Royal Navy. Found himself in Africa, South Africa, where he actually started working as a sailor on a slave ship. He continued to do that for a number of years there until eventually he became a captain of a slave ship. And by his own admission, he said that there were times when he treated slaves horribly. Eventually, he decided to leave that. And he was back in England for a period of time and did various things and his life took various turns and he turned out to be an Anglican priest. And he talks about the way in which he sort of traveled this spiritual path. 
the song that he wrote, the hymn that he wrote, wrote he wrote over 200. <laughs> but the most famous one that he penned was Amazing Grace. And that wasn't even the original name of that. That was given that name later. But he wrote these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour that I first believed. Those words kind of make a lot more sense when you have a little bit of understanding of John Newton's life and the things that he went through and the things that he experienced. And he said that there were times on those voyages that he made that he actually prayed to God, living the lifestyle that he was living, (laughs) that his life would be spared until eventually he gave that up. And he was thankful. And that's why he penned those words of that song. Thankful for what God had done for him. Now I want you to take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Sometimes we just read those words and we just kind of pass on, He saved us. Just three words. But do we really stop and think and ponder what those three words meant that He saved us? You know, that word saved has become almost unique or distinct. Maybe that's the word I should say. Not just unique, but distinct to the Christian faith. Christians probably talk about that word more than anybody else on the face of the planet. We talk about God saved me, that we are saved. And so it has become a distinctly distinctively Christian term. I want to share with you what that means, actually. And what Paul had in mind when he said, He saved us. In one sense, it can mean... Just temporal deliverance, physical deliverance from harm or from danger, from physical death, from some kind of disaster. That's the way it is used over Matthew, the 8th chapter, in about verse 25. Do you recall when the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and he's asleep (laughs) and the storm comes and they're afraid that they are going to drown, they're going to perish? And they go to him and they say, save us. Save us, Lord, because we perish. And so that's one of the ways in which that word saved is used. From physical harm. From physical danger. But now the most popular way in which it is used in the New Testament is the spiritual sense. And the main idea is this. Is that he saved us from sin. What's that mean? It means that He rescued us from sin. 
He rescued us from its power. He rescued us from its penalty. He preserved us safe, unharmed from divine wrath. That's the way it's used in the Scriptures. He saved us from judgment. He saved us from hell. He saved us from eternal punishment. He saved us, is what Paul says. Christians know that word. Christians love that word. We understand that aspect of it. And we know what it means. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to Timothy over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, about verse 15, he said, This is a faithful saving and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So as we think about that, and in that connotation, He came to rescue doomed sinners. That's what He's saying. That's kind of a negative connotation. Isn't it? <laughs> but that's part of it. And so we try to think of, we want to think of it in a sort of a more positive light. And there certainly is that aspect of it too. So it not only means to rescue from imminent danger or disaster or destruction, it also has a positive connotation. Colossians chapter 1, and about verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That's positive. <laughs> Paul says, He delivered, He delivered us from this domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Takes us out of hell and the threat of it. And delivers us to a place where we have the hope and blessings of heaven. That's positive. Rescues from divine wrath and brings to a place of divine blessings. The word carries the idea of being delivered. We're getting ready to study the book of Acts. And we will take an intensive look at Acts chapter 2. We? And we quote from Acts chapter 2 a lot of times. In fact, one of the well-known passages from Acts chapter 2 is about verse 47. Do you remember it? Where it says that the Lord added to the church daily such as were being saved. Rescued. Delivered. And the Lord was adding to. Now some translations say church. Some translations say their number. But the idea is that the Lord was adding those who were saved 
to this number. What number? Well, Peter had just preached the gospel for the first time. And when they came to realize that they had crucified the Son of God, what did they do? They asked men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I believe in that context, there he is talking about the gift, not of the Holy Spirit, but what the Holy Spirit has revealed. And that's salvation. Peter will go on in that same context and he will say, save yourselves from this untoward or crooked generation. Not that they can save themselves, but they can hear the gospel, become obedient to it. Do that which is necessary in order to be saved. And in verse 47, and the Lord added daily. Who? Such as should be saved. Can we see that? Rescued, delivered, added to that number that was saved. We sing, and we oftentimes quote Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. What's that mean? Grace. God's unmerited favor in your heart makes me want to sing. You see that? You may not know this song. It's kind of a popular song by a quote-unquote, Christian group. I like this song. I've shared it with other people. Told them, gotta listen to it. title of the song is Grace Got You. One of the lines in that song and what the singer, the artist is singing about is the blessings of grace, God's grace. And how we as Christians ought to be motivated by, be thrilled by that fact. And in one line of that song, he says, Sing so the back row hears you. (laughs) It's just got to come out. Grace in your heart. Singing. The New Living Translation renders Colossians 3 and verse 16 this way. It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankfulness in your hearts. So we sing, heaven came down. We sing, hallelujah, what a Savior. We sing, amazing grace. And many more, don't we? And so we sing about salvation. We talk about salvation. We pray and give thanks for salvation. And it's a profound 
magnificent, wonderful concept. God rescued. He delivered. Christianity is a religion of rescuing. Remember the Great Commission? As Jesus gave it at the close of Mark's Gospel? Go preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, rescued, delivered. He that disbelieves shall be condemned because they didn't respond. They didn't believe. That Great Commission goes right along with the theme of Titus. It's belief leading to action. It's faith and practice. But Christianity is not only a religion of rescuing. Christianity is a relationship of the rescued. Ephesians chapter 1 and about verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where did God put all of those spiritual blessings that He has for us? He put those in Christ. What's that mean? That means in a relationship with Him. That's where God has placed those blessings. We are saved. We are rescued. And we are delivered to a place where we enjoy those blessings. In a relationship. With Him. We become a part of Christ's body. Colossians 1 and verse 18, right? For He, Jesus Christ, is the head of the church, which is His body. Acts 2. The Lord added to the church, to the saved on the day of Pentecost. To the saved. Those who had been rescued. Those who had been delivered. Titus 3 and verse 5. He saved us. That's what Paul's saying. He saved us. It's the theme. It's the core. Of Christianity. We preach it. We sing about it. Our lives revolve around it. We worship. As we think about. What God did for us. He saved us. But also. 
in this text. Take a look at verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul says, we also. What is he talking about? We, Christians, the saved. This is the way it was before. If you could write a book, or if I was to write a book, and I was to give it the title based upon this section of Scripture, the title of the book would just very simply be My Former Condition or My Former Life. Now let me show you what each chapter would be. Chapter 1. I once was foolish. Chapter 2. I was disobedient. Chapter 3. I was deceived. Chapter 4. I was serving various lusts and pleasures. Chapter 5. I was living in malice and envy. Chapter 6, I was hateful and hating one another. Paul says, we also. This is the way we were. And that describes Christians that were living on the isle or island of Crete before They were saved. Romans chapter 1. Paul elaborates on this same concept about man separated from God and from Jesus Christ. And I don't have time to read all of chapter 1, but I'll just kind of briefly give you what he says there that they, separate and apart from God, had lived in lust, impurity of heart. And he said man was giving his body over to be dishonored. He exchanged the truth of God for a lie. He worshipped the creature rather than the creator. He was given over to degrading passions and women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural and men burning in their own desires towards one another committing indecent acts. Paul describes human depravity by saying they were reprobates, depraved in mind, filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, Slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, unloving, unmerciful. And even though they knew the ordinances of God and they knew that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only did them, but they gave hearty approval to those who practice those things. 
sound anything like our society now. <laughs> Not only practice them, but get hearty approval to those who do practice them. And we can multiply that thought. Ephesians, the second chapter, Paul says they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. What's that mean? They're not saved. That's what he's saying. He goes on in that same chapter. They walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. And those who do such things, Paul talks about that over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. He talked about when Jesus Christ returns with his angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. <laughs> because the gospel has been preached. And what did Jesus say in Mark the 16th chapter? Preach the gospel to every creature. <laughs> he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And so that opportunity is extended. And God wants to rescue. And He wants to deliver. But now, Titus 3, 3-5, we'll get more to the point of what Paul is saying here in these first eight verses. But first, 3-5. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And you read that. And you have to stop and ask yourself, why is verse 3 there? What's the point that Paul is making as he's writing to Titus? We also, what, what's, what's he reminding him of? Let me give you another quick illustration. You ever known anybody that's run for a political office and got elected to that office? Have. Have you ever known anybody that's worked within a corporation and they kind of moved up the ladder and got to a pretty high position? You ever known anybody, Danny, that's held a high position in the union. <laughs> Everybody in that, in that position. Have you ever known anybody that started out with nothing, but then in their, during the course of their life, they built and accomplished something? And what's one of the phrases that are oftentimes said to any or one, all of those people? Oftentimes it's said, don't forget where you came from. Isn't that right? Don't forget where you came from. Why is verse 3 there? I think that's what Paul said. You were saved 
Verse 5. You've been rescued. You've been delivered. But don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. Because in chapter 1 and verse 12, what did he say about those Cretans? That even sounds kind of creepy, doesn't it? (laughs) He said they are liars, (laughs) evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Do you ever think, sure glad I'm not like that. And Paul says, no, we also. They're liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. We also. We're like that. Don't forget. You were foolish. You were disobedient. You were deceived. Serving various lusts and pleasures. Living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. We, you, me, we need to be rescued. And then he says in verse 4, But when? When the kindness and love of God appeared. When that happened, He saved us. You know what that word kindness means? It means goodness of heart. What it means is God had a concern in His heart toward people in a miserable condition. I want to read to you though from the Gospel of Luke. Think about this. And Paul says, the kindness of God appeared. And what's he reminding him of? That they also needed to be saved. And so what's to be your response about those who have not yet obeyed the gospel? Listen to Luke, the sixth chapter, and about verse 35. This is Jesus speaking. He says, But love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Paul says, verse 3, we all said. Can we see? You received the kindness. God is kind towards the unthankful and the evil. So what's Paul saying to them? God extended that kindness to you. You want to be sons of the Most High? Then how should you treat them? He goes on to say, when the kindness and love. And it's interesting as you take a look at that word love there. It's not the agape that we oftentimes think about. It's actually philanthropia, from which we get philanthropy. And it means pity, compassion, eagerness to deliver someone from pain or stress, a strong affection, 
for someone that is in need. God is kind, even to the unthankful and evil, showing strong affection, acting in pity and compassion. It's an amazing concept when you stop and think about it. God in heaven, holy, righteous, giving consideration, kindness in His heart, extending love, philanthropy, to mankind, to rescue, to deliver, to make men good, to make them better, so that they might be Saved. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 6. I'll finish verse 5, sorry. <laughs> Not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and through the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm, want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So as you take a look at that, what's he saying? Verse 5. God saved us not because of what we did, it's not that we deserved it. It was based upon his kindness and his love. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, and that's part of that whole plan of the gospel being preached to man. That he was lost and that God sent his son. And in verse 4, he says, When the kindness and love of God, our Savior towards man, Appeared. When did that happen? Most commentators suggest that's talking about incarnation. That's when the Savior came. And then we see his life and how he gave that life on Calvary for us. And that we be justified, verse 7, by his grace. And in verse 8, those who believe should maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Knowing these things. Doing these things. That's good. That's profitable. You know what he's saying? Titus, you're on the Isle of Crete now. Titus, those people that you're living around, they may be liars. They may be evil beasts. They may be lazy gluttons. But so were we. And Titus, the gospel can change them. Just like it changed us. But you know what else, Titus? If you're going to get those people to listen to you, 
If you're going to get those people to listen to Christians, talk about Jesus Christ, talk about the gospel, you know what we need, Titus? We need an example. That's where you come in, Titus. That's where these other Christians come in, Titus. See, because the gospel, God's grace can change people. And they need to see it in you. You were formerly like them. You're not like that no more. And so God needs His message delivered, Titus. And then He needs a living example. That's why He's saying. Maintain good works. Why? Because this is profitable to men. This is what God has provided. His message and change lives. He saved us. And that's what changes people. That's what Paul's telling Titus. That's why verse 8 is there. That's how that completes that thought. So Paul was talking to Christians, to churches. How are you going to gain a hearing How are you going to gain a platform in that kind of world? You got to preach it, but then you got to live it. Because if you don't live it, they're not going to listen. So maintain good works. That's profitable to men. I think that's what John Newton was saying in Amazing Grace. It changed him. And how precious did his grace appear the moment that I believed. That changes everything. When it's applied first to me, and then I want to share it with somebody else. I'm going to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's his invitation. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, he desires for us to live that example so that we might have a platform and a hearing with those who desperately need the gospel, just like we ourselves needed that gospel. And if we can help you make your life right this morning, you come while together we stand, while we sing.